As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the On Farm podcast. I'm Anna Davis, back with you again this week. No spoilers from me, I shall let him introduce himself, but um, had a really lovely chat with this gentleman, William, uh, who came out to my farm actually a couple of weeks ago and we took a little walk and had a chat. Um, Now the reason I got to know William is because uh, my business Seen and Heard, or our business Seen and Heard, built his new website for him because he's recently started up in business himself. So we got to know him and as soon as I understood a little more about what he does, I thought we've got to chat to this man for the podcast. So uh, here is that conversation and I hope you find it enlightening and interesting and informative. I certainly did. It was it was a thoroughly um, enjoyable hour that I spent with William. So please enjoy. I'm William Houston. I farm in Glen Isla in Angus. I've recently studied holistic management with the Savory Institute and now become accredited with them so that I can help others take up holistic management in their own farms and businesses. And can you tell us a bit more when you use the phrase holistic management, what does that mean to you? How, does, how do you interpret that? It's really working in tune with nature. Nature, we say, works in holes. And in order to manage something effectively you have to first of all identify the whole of what you manage and then you can start to manage it to benefit both your business, the environment and your people. And unless you get all three of these aspects covered and you manage each of them proactively towards the whole that you want to achieve, one or other is going to catch you out. What's brought you to, to this point? You, know, you mentioned you're a farmer. You're now working accredited by the Savory Institute. But I understand that um, from having chatted to you before, your career has geographically um, spanned the whole world and you've learned an awful lot in a variety of jobs. But tell me, how, how did it all start? Well, it started for, at home in Glen Isla, where I grew up. Father always said to my brother and I that we could come home and farm, but not until we'd worked somewhere else first. But I ended up seeing an advertisement in the Farmers Weekly for ranch assistants in Venezuela, able to ride a horse and a motorbike and used to handling people. I applied, got out there, found myself in the middle of a million acres that the Vestes owned, down on the Llanos in Venezuela, floodplains, Four months dust bowl, four months underwater and two months of mud, mud either side. Oh, goodness. Running about 100,000 breeding cows, 3,000 horses to work it all, and around about 1,000 men. Wow. Um, the water, when it came up, was full of alligators and piranhas. And we were on the edge of the 
Amazon rainforest. So I had a couple of trips down there. We met quite a few of the indigenous people, saw their way of life. So that was the start. Came back from that, got a job with FMC in Perth, building the abattoir there that's now ABP. Mm-hmm. After 18 months of that, someone left the farm at home, so I was newly married and went back up the road to farm at home. Had a happy 20 years bringing up my daughters there, farming beef, sheep and barley. And after 20 years, girls were going to university. My body was packing up a bit from fighting sheep all the time. (laughs) My brain was restless. Again, looked for work, nothing appealed. And I saw an MBA course in the States and Sirencester combined between the two. So went and did that. It was a dry agricultural campus in Utah. Finished that course, did my dissertation on farmers' attitudes to change, which sort of came out of watching neighbours round about and how we were all adapting to then-changing circumstances and the threat that the next round of EU funding was going to be the final one. Its purpose was to set us up so we didn't need Mm. funding anymore, which rattled quite a few of us. Yes. Change until... 100 years ago was very slow and from one generation to the next there was very little change on a farm now change is very rapid and we've got to adapt our thinking and our management to reflect that and to take best advantage of it and it's part of the deeper thinking behind what people in savory have developed their framework from is mechanisms and a framework to manage our decision-making to take account of the complexity of nature. We look at nature as being complex, and what you, if you change something on one farm, it could have a very different effect to changing it on another. It's very difficult to predict the effect of your actions on nature. It used to be good that farmers were very conservative because you wanted to see... You didn't want to make a change without having a fair idea of what the consequences are. Whereas now, we have so many very powerful tools that are to use, be it machinery or chemicals, or how we market things. Look at how prices bounce up and down on the futures market. Life is so complex that we need help in making decisions to be sure that we're going down a sensible route rather than going to be hit by an unintended or unforeseen consequence. Yes. Farmers want to be able to understand the outcome of a change and for it to be a planned and careful change because they've got such an important job to do. They're, they're custodians of our very important environment. So nobody, you know, only fools rush in. So that change has got to be strategized and, and planned. And, and once that gives a certain sense of reassurance and change maybe becomes less of a challenge so you did your dissertation that's what we were saying you'd um you'd had a, a dry period in utah and what came next what came next was having been driving through cumbria i saw a job advertised to help cumbrian farms and rural businesses recover from the effects of foot and mouth two of us were put in there to help farmers and other rural businesses recover from the effects of foot and mouth Mm -hmm. they had a lot of the farms had a clean break they'd had 200 cow herds big overdraft and suddenly they had no cattle 
and money in the bank yes. and time yes. to reconsider for the future. Yes. At the same time, the tourism businesses had had a really rough time because there hadn't been tourists allowed in the Lake mm. District through foot and mouth. There was help for the farmers, but not so much for the other businesses. And environmental issues were starting to become more and more of an issue about the number of sheep on the fells. And so it was a very interesting time. It got me interested in the issues of a national park. The, so that was two years on that project, which then led into other other work. Um, most interesting bit was doing work for Government Office Northwest on local food procurement for the public sector kitchens. Ah, yeah. In hospitals, um, schools and everything else. Gosh, so um, Jamie Oliver would give you a pat on the back for, for your efforts for that. How, uh, how was that time? That must have been fascinating, challenging, rewarding. Yes, I don't know all, which all of those, those things. <laughs> <laughs> Frustrating. Frustrating, I um, bet, yeah. It's very difficult and particularly, I bounce about a bit, but at that time and still there isn't enough holistic thinking on the effect of food on recovery in hospitals on children's performance in schools mm. just can't understand why a hospital bed which i think costs about two thousand quid a night they begrudge paying an extra fiver a head for meals every day yes. which would reduce the time people spent in hospital by i don't know how many days mm -hmm. and it would be better for the health of the nation <laughs> hospital economics and everything else but the the food budget is completely separate from the health budget it's kind of common sense surely that the food we eat impacts upon how we are our health our recovery from illness our long-term health I mean, so many things why why do you think more people aren't aware of this and and actually getting the conversation going I think it comes down to the management in institutions and management thinking in institutions and the people like to be in charge of their own little empire within a, an organisation and it's much easier to budget food under one budget and surgery under another and education under another without realising the effect that one has on the other mm. and schools in particular. My favourite school in Cumbria on this journey of learning about it was in Cockermouth where the school purchasing policy was whatever the cook could pick up on her walk down the high street going into school in the morning Wow! and that was the school <laughs> lunch for the day yes yes and the difference my daughter is a primary or was qualified as a primary school teacher yeah. the difference in the children's behavior particularly in the afternoon that they're given a good wholesome mm. lunch compared to the ones on high sugar additives is night and day and it's not just the performance in that one lesson it goes on to the how well they do in their exams whether they carry on to further education and how well they do in their lifetime so maybe saving a i don't know for want of a figure a thousand quid on a child's food going through school could make several million pounds of difference to that child's income in their life well exactly and their contribution to the community yeah. and the economy in the world yeah, yeah. It's, it's so true and all of these issues come back to the same thing and that comes back to food production and it comes back to scotland and the quality of food that we produce and 
how and why we produce it. But um, where did we get to on your career path? Before uh, becoming accredited with the Savory Institute, you uh, worked quite heavily within the soft fruit sector in Scotland, didn't you? Yes, I managed Angus Growers, 18-member soft fruit cooperative based in Arbroath, one of Scotland's most successful farming businesses, I guess. The peak growing about £50 million worth of soft fruit a year in Scotland. You know, soft fruit is such a brilliant example of, of what Scotland can produce in terms of healthy, nutritious food. Yes, and when I was growing up, ras- strawberries were available for about a month and then raspberries were available for about a month. Yes. Now you can. I've seen them being picked in this country from March to December. And yeah. not in big amounts, but we can do it. And the, the change which has happened in Scottish farming is incredible. How quick we have been to grasp these new technologies, these new ways of growing crops. And particularly with the fruit and the vegetables in Scotland, we've got most of it is sold through cooperatives. So the <laughs> value gained from marketing it and processing it goes back to farm businesses. From, like riding through alligator infested water to working uh, in the soft fruit, se- fruit sector you must have had an itch all that time that that needed to be scratched and one day you thought hang on a minute this has been great this career but there's something else that I want to be doing can you tell us a bit about what happened next and how you got then from from there to to the reason why I'm speaking to you today effectively I think an itch is probably about right. I I mean, I grew up and farmed through probably the greatest period of change and innovation that we've ever seen, from machinery through chemicals through techniques. Yeah. But you kept hearing stories of long-term effects of chemicals in particular. People were starting to talk about the effects of cows and methane and I just got interested and wanted to know more and thought, I've got a brain that just doesn't stop on mm-hmm. being niggled by these things. Yeah. And somewhere I'd heard about Alan Savory and his teaching and got back to it. And when I left Angus Growers, I needed a break, reset my mind, and the Savory Institute were having a gathering on White Oak Pastures Farm in Georgia, owned by Will Harris, just sorry to interrupt for a second i just have to acknowledge here because there's a bit of background noise um it's a robot lawnmower (laughs) that you can hear in the background so apologies for that um just a little buzzing noise but it'll disappear in a minute you went along georgia did you say georgia in the states wow um and it's peanut cotton country yeah yeah Will inherited a 3,000 acre farm with three employees on it growing those crops from his father with a few cattle and he saw the soil going downhill. Mm-hmm. And he'd heard Alan Savory talk somewhere, and he decided cattle were the way forward, grazed yep. in an adaptive, holistically managed way. So he started doing this. And he then, the more he learnt, the more different species of livestock he brought in. So he's got pigs, chickens, goats, turkeys, who knows? I know he, ha- he says he has 100,000 beating hearts on the farm. <gasps> 100,000, wow. Uh, yeah, yep. beating hearts. He, That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> in order to market it well, he built an abattoir on site for both the, oh, okay. the big animals yes. and the poultry. And he 
now I think employs about 180 people. Yeah. He's revitalised the local village. And as well as meeting him, there were about 30 other people from all over the world. And we had, we t there were some formal talks, both on farming and I also met Trey Cates from Enrhythm, who used to work for the Savory Institute. He set the Savory Institute up as a business rather oh, than okay. Alan teaching on his own. Yes, right. He's the commercial head. He was a, yeah. He's now moved on to take the same techniques into the wider business world of oh, managing see. people as part of, as natural beings and treating mm. a business as a living system. Yes, yes. And he get, which fascinated me. Woody Tatch from the Slow Money Initiative was there. And it was just a fascinating few days of meeting real innovative thinkers who challenged me. You have one of the best website addresses that there is, I think, and that was just, I think, because you were quick and clever. Um, but it's it's land.scot, isn't it? So that's an easy one for people to remember. But when, when we go on your website, the word that, that really sticks out, as far as I'm concerned, is regenerative. And that is a word that actually you, you don't go anywhere these days within Scottish agriculture without hearing people using that word regenerative. Now, it's critical to you and your business but what does it actually, to you, what does it actually mean and why? I'm going to have to change that word because I don't like regenerative anymore. <laughs> I want to change it to regenerating. Ah, yes. Because everybody's jumping on to regenerative practices. Yes. And if yes. you do this and this and this, all will be well. I prefer to think in holistic management we identify the hole that we're managing and then we have the really difficult conversation with a farmer which is why are you farming how would you like your farm your land your business and your people to be in five years time in 20 years time and then we try to help you achieve that with every decision you make mm -hmm. you're right i'm not cert we're certainly not denigrating anybody that uses this term but you're right regenerative has become a buzzword and perhaps it trips off people's tongues a bit too readily when they don't truly know what it means or perhaps haven't truly considered what that means for for their future but surely is it not a good thing that that it's it's being talked about even if perhaps it's too readily used you know should we not all be talking much more about regenerative and regenerating and and getting this conversation going because it's it's the only way that farming can have a sustainable future is it not yes no i i fully accept that i'm just aware that we've got to keep the momentum going one of the sayings i like most is by an albertan rancher called don campbell who said if you change how you do things you'll only ever make small changes. If you want to make big changes, you have to change how you see things. And the change in how you see things, I think farmers need to start looking at, is how we see ourselves within nature. Since farming started 10,000 years ago, the thinking has been that man is above nature and we need to control mm. nature. 
and that is how we will maximise the yields. It's a, there's a huge extinction of all sorts of wildlife going on at the moment. There is still time, I believe, to change it. I've heard said that in farming, because we manage land, and land is the core resource of the, the planet which drives the, the water cycle, the carbon cycle, which are getting a bit... Carbon's not a problem. It's just some of it's in the wrong place at the moment. And we can help nature put it back in a better place if we understand the natural systems that it works with. So there's huge potential for us to start taking care or managing the planet back into health. Mm, mm. Do you think in Scotland, all of the farmers I meet have got a huge respect for the land that they farm and what it gives to them and... You know, you hear the phrase custodians mm. of the, the, the countryside. And I've no doubt that everybody believes that. But do you think that perhaps because in Scotland we're not faced with the extremes of weather like they are in certain other parts of the world? And I think back to, to you in Venezuela. You know, you must have been there five minutes before you realised that, that you, you know, you're surrounded by alligators you can't beat nature you have to work with nature and do you think maybe scotland has almost given us an easy ride that we don't have that same kind of respect for for the power of nature be that weather or animals and and therefore we don't have the same understanding or do you think that that's a ridiculous comment no i think it it's right i mean it the weather's not as bad as it used to be uh-huh. But yes, we are very lucky with our weather here. But at the same time, it has given Scotland the ability to lead in all sorts of change. Hmm. And it's amazing what's happening here. Agricarbon outside Dundee is now measuring carbon in the soil. We've got all sorts of people re- managing their cattle regeneratively and managing being able to prove how the carbon level and the water absorption of their soil is improving while their inputs go down. We've got farmers, I spoke to, at one wedding, I spoke to two different farmers who are growing several crops at once. One growing barley and peas, who's going to harvest as one crop and feed oh, to his cattle. Yeah, yeah. Which has reduced the fertiliser need by having peas oh, in with the course, barley. yes. And another one who's growing, I can't remember, beans and wheat, beans and barley, I think, and he's going to separate them out in the seed dresser in the shed. Wow. So, and a lot of this innovation, as always, is being done on the farm level. Mm-hmm. So, it's been fascinating, but we've talked quite a lot about the past, but I like to talk about the future, and, and you obviously do, because everything that you stand for now is effectively about the future. It's using the knowledge that you've gained throughout your career, but but helping to give farmers a tool to future-proof as far as possible their business and their farm. If we catch up again in, say, five years' time for a chat, what, what do you hope that we'll be talking about? What do you hope that you can tell me? How farmers are changing again to a more holistic approach to their farming, being more aware of the whole in which the the farm exists. Farmers need to do this because some of the advisors to government, Dieter Helm, for instance, 
is talking about the polluter pays principle coming in where you may be rewarded through subsidy for doing good things to the environment but you'll also be penalized for polluting the environment if you're found to have chemicals leaving your farm in the water courses that will cost you and it it's up to farmers as an industry to take this on board become less defensive and more proactive and build really hate the word but sustainable businesses <laughs> for the future mm. that are genuinely aware and use i mean what i what drove me to savory or attracted me to savory is their decision making framework and how it leads you through it it points out the important things there are little phrases like people with a power of veto on your on your business so you're aware of that when mm -hmm. you're making a decision mm -hmm. whether it's the neighbor who will object in a planning application to something you're doing or a bank manager or whatever and alan has been incredibly clever in developing this framework for decision making which is what holistic management's about it's just making good decisions for the business the environment and the people and it works throughout the world to me it was worth becoming accredited just for the chats we have every month so they're adding so much value to you personally yes. as well as the people that you that you can help i, I yeah. recently helped someone who's farming in a chilean national park <laughs> wow. just by saying well this is what we did in the lake district yes yes when it comes to the well the alan savory and and his thinking and your training and regenerating regenerative is there much resistance? Are you, you know, are there are there farmers out there who are saying or even thinking, perhaps, no, this isn't for me, or this isn't necessary, or, or is is it an open door? Everything, I would say, it's a spectrum, and as it should be, as it, where people were all different, mm -hmm. just as there's no single answer as to do this and all will be well we're working in an incredibly complex environment of nature, society, government, funding rules. And it, all I'm hoping to do is to help people make slightly better decisions. They might not all be good, but if they're just a little bit better, the change will keep progressing. One of the keys there is working with people. You know, you're not in the business of going in and sitting down at the kitchen table and saying to people, right, you need to do this, this and this. It's how can we work together to achieve what we want to achieve and what are the mechanisms for for getting to those goals? Yes, I heard it put quite well recently. Someone said, I'm a guide on the side, not a sage on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I, might, I could apply that to myself. Yes, actually. <laughs> it was just. It's, it's you, great. You don't yes. want to be telling people what to do. No, you want no. to be someone off to the side they can turn to. Yes, yes. Gosh, I don't think I admit it to myself very often, and and probably most people don't. But but we need to all admit sometimes that we don't. We can't do everything always on our own. Sometimes we need a second opinion. Sometimes we need support. Sometimes we need a helping hand. Sometimes we need somebody to hold our hand. It gives reassurance to know that there's somebody out there who can work alongside you to, to help you get where you need to be. Yes, you've reminded me of a 
wonderful phrase I heard training with N-Rhythm in California, and N-Rhythm use it a lot, it is that we need to recognize and celebrate everyone's individual genius. And we, and you, we can all learn from the genius, that genius oh, in yeah. others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know I always say, some people always say to me, well, you know, why, why do you work in PR? Or why would anybody need PR help? And my response is not nearly as eloquent as that, but it's, you know, I, the reason why I employ an accountant is because I don't want and probably can't do a very good job of my accounts myself. It's not my area of expertise. And I think if we all recognize what we can do ourselves and where we need to harness the genius of other people. So there we go, um, a really interesting chat there with William Houston and you can find him if you'd like to make contact at www.land.scott which I think is just a brilliant domain name. Before we go, I wanted to say a big thank you to a man by the name of Stephen Maguire. Now Stephen works with Dave Howard who's our usual producer but he edited a big part of this episode because he is part of the team of the Multitrack Fellowship, which is an industry scheme to get more people from diverse backgrounds into audio production. So thank you, Stephen. You've done a great job, I think. Um, and um, well done to Bespoken Media um, for working on this fellowship because I think it's a brilliant idea. So that's all from us for this week. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Not sure yet if it will be Monty or myself. I can't remember, but one of us will be here next week. So see you then. <laughs>